Good morning. Just want to start off this uh, message with a few questions. Have you ever wondered what direction your life is taking? Have you ever wondered to yourself, you know, where is God leading me? Perhaps you're aiming to change your career path. Perhaps you're just starting your career. Maybe you're still in school and wondering what comes next. Maybe you're retired and wondering what comes next. Where is God leading me? Well, whatever our plans are, the Lord may have other plans for us. We're just going to look at um, how he directed Paul in 2 Corinthians today. This is, uh, we're going to continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. I'll just read the passage. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death, leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life, leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Starting at verse 12, Paul goes back to um, explain why he did not come to Corinth as he was planning. Now, when he says, furthermore, it's a continuation of his thoughts from chapter 1. Paul here, he arrived in the city of Troas to preach the gospel because, as Paul put, a door was opened to me by the Lord. So apparently, um, there arisen a great opportunity for Paul to share the gospel in Troas. So here was a chance to see many people get saved, possibly. Here was a chance to help the kingdom of God grow in a great way. But um, there was something wrong here. Um, Paul says he, Titus was not there. So why was this a big deal? Well, it was from Titus that Paul was longing to hear about how the Corinthians were doing. Now, as we've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians now, and we went through 1 Corinthians for the past few months, we know the Corinthian church was having a lot of problems. So Titus had been sent by Paul to ascertain the spiritual condition of the Corinthian church. And I think this is what um, may have been going through Paul's mind, something along this train of thought. Have any of you ever been really worried about someone who is going through a hard time? And maybe you um, heard that someone is having a surgery or they're going through some procedure in the hospital. And you just can't wait to hear from the nurse, the doctor, how is your loved one doing? Or perhaps you heard that uh, someone you know has been in a serious accident. 
and you're just holding your breath, you're waiting to hear some shred of news about how that person's doing. That was the heart of Paul. And yes, there was a great opportunity to share the gospel of trust, and there were doubtless many people there that had to be saved. But the Corinthians, they were so on his heart that he could not find any rest. He, couldn't, he was uneasy not knowing about how they were doing. It says, he says, I had no rest in my spirit. And you just look at these epistles to the Corinthians, and it's very obvious the Corinthians have a very special place in Paul's heart. I just, just look through your Bible for a moment. Look at how many pages um, the epistles to the, to the Corinthians are. And when's the last time you wrote a letter? Or maybe I should say, well, to put things in 21st century, when's the last time you wrote an email this long to someone you knew? So, Paul dropped everything he was doing in Troas so he could go find Titus and find out about how the Corinthians were doing. So Paul's had a major change in his plans here. But Paul wasn't discouraged by appearing to lose a great opportunity in Troas and having to go to Macedonia instead. Because uh, right after the change of plans, he says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Paul just uh, gives thanks to God despite this um, change in plans. Now someone else in Paul's shoes might have been tempted to think, these Corinthians, they just can't get together. Now I have to leave this great work in Troas to find out about how they're doing. But Paul's not like that. Paul was very long-suffering and patient in his love toward the Corinthians. He thanked God, and he had confidence in where the Lord was leading him. As he puts it, God always leads us in triumph in Christ. Now, what does this word triumph mean? The first thing I think about triumph, I think about victory. And I have to say, when I first read this verse, I was a little confused by it because I was thinking, you know, are, are we as believers, are we always victorious in our lives? And, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, you know, we have to admit, there are times where we may be out of fellowship with the Lord. We may have fallen into sin. There are times where we may be discouraged and we have our doubts about God's purposes. But that's not what this verse is talking about. The context of this verse is in sharing the gospel and displaying Christ. Now, triumph, it does refer to victory, especially displaying victory. Now, back in the days when the New Testament was written, the Romans, they would have what's called a triumph or a procession whenever there was a great military victory. So what would happen is the Roman general who may have won the victory, he would go through the city leading his sons and fellow officers in the procession just celebrating his achievement and what he had done. Now, the purpose of it was to, to promote the general status and what he had accomplished. 
Now, these days, I mean, there still might be something like that. I think I hear the Warriors are having some kind of victory parade um, next week in Oakland. And these days, perhaps if an athlete wins a victory in a match, well, they might get a trophy with their name on it, so they might want to display it in a prominent place. When there's a victory, people often like to display it. Now, in regards to God and us, Christ has won the victory. Now, as unsaved people, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were in a hopeless condition. Unless the Lord did something, we were going to die in our sins and suffer eternal punishment in hell. But as we went over a few weeks ago at the end of 1 Corinthians, death is swallowed up in victory. And thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And just as a Roman general back in the days of the New Testament would have liked to have made his victory known, the Lord wants to make his victory known. And he desires to display us to the world so that he might reveal himself through us to people in every place that others might be saved. Now, it may not always feel like you're being led in the path of triumph or victory. Sometimes it seems like the Lord may be leading us down a path in our life where we don't want to go. Maybe it seems like there's a lot of hardships and trials in our lives. It may be just full of suffering and pain, the path we seem to be going down. And when you look at this verse, and you might wonder, you know, is the Lord really leading me in triumph in the path of victory? I mean, what's the deal? I'm doing all I can in following the Lord's leading, and things just seem to be getting harder. But this verse does say that where the Lord is leading me, I will experience triumph. I will experience victory. I will see the gospel go out in my life to the unsaved world, and I will be used for the Lord's glory. No matter where I am or what circumstances I'm in, if I follow the Lord's leading. Something to keep in mind, this um, path to triumph or victory, the Lord never says it's easy. I mean, just look at who's writing this letter. This is Paul who's been through a lot. And we look at earlier in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul just mentions he's been through some seriously great trials. And he mentioned um, in verse 8 of chapter 1, as he puts it, um, that we were burdened beyond measure of strength so that we despaired even of life. And just in the last chapter, Paul was basically saying he, was, he thought he was going to die. And later on in the letter, you know, Paul goes into detail about some of his other sufferings. We see that Paul experienced imprisonments, beatings, stonings, shipwrecks, whippings. Paul was... Um, often, as he put it in peril, he's, he was often in danger. And yet, even in, with all the awful circumstances he went through, Paul says that the Lord always leads in triumph in Christ. Now, just give a few examples of, in Paul's life of how he could say that he experienced spiritual victory wherever he went. You can look in more detail there in the book of Acts, chapter 16, just reading it by yourself. 
But back in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his companion at the time, Silas, they were unjustly arrested and imprisoned. They were beaten. They were put in stocks. And all this happened in a city called Philippi. So things looked pretty grim for Paul. I mean, he was in prison, um, and he was in bad shape and beaten up. But yet in the midst of this, the Lord gave Paul and Silas a great victory. You know, Paul and Silas had the joy of seeing the Philippian jailer and his entire family get saved. Another example. We don't know how many people, but we see in Paul's uh, epistles written from prison, um, even though he was in prison in Rome, he had the joy of seeing people in Caesar's household get saved. Now, I don't know the details of what everyone in the room is going through. Some of you may be going through some terribly hard times, but you know, you know, let these verses be a comfort to you. If you're following the Lord's leading, it says, He always leads us in triumph in Christ. You will experience victory in your lives. Now, going on to the second part of verse 14, this is about a certain way God wants to use us. God wants to use you to diffuse the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. It's our responsibility to make the Lord Jesus known in every place, as Paul puts it. Now, a prayer request I've heard on a number of occasions is that a believer might be salt and light um, among the people they're with. You know, that comes from um, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is preaching about um, believers being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So unbelievers should see the Lord Jesus in our lives. We should leave a spiritual flavor in people's lives. Now, this passage still in 2 Corinthians, it gives another illustration of how the Lord wants us to be in the world. And instead of um, using something visual, he uses our sense of smell. I'll ask you a question this morning again, and this might sound like an odd question. How do you smell? Or really, how do you smell spiritually? So let's look at um, our physical sense of smell for a moment. Now, a sense of smell is it's really a, a unique sense. It's a very, in a way, it's a very long-range sense because you don't even have to see something in order to sense it. You may not be, you may be very far away from it. And odors, strong odors, they can have a way of penetrating an entire room, even to little nooks and crannies where we wouldn't be looking. And something about odors, too, they have a way of remaining even when the object causing the odor is taken out of the room. Now, just to give an example, we'll take something with a bad odor. Now, I remember one time, um, this is years ago, um, it was the only time I've ever done it, but it was very memorable. I left a pot of rice boiling on the stove, and it burned very, very badly. Left the pot burned. And the room smelled really bad after that for a long time. Now, um, I did my best. I opened the windows for hours. I washed the pot off, but the smell just lingered. 
And even a couple days later, I felt like I still smell burnt rice. But then you, know, you could also have a similar effect with a good smell. Perhaps someone is baking some chocolate chip cookies in the house. And even though they're just cooking in the kitchen, the smell can go through the entire house. I think the Lord uses the word fragrance. It's a picture of just how powerful a good testimony can be. Now, the Lord Jesus himself, he's, just, he's described as being an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. That's in Ephesians. Now, as believers, depending on how close we are walking with the Lord and how strong our testimony is, we should be fragrant or spiritually smelly, so to speak. In the physical world, sometimes we smell something so distinctive, you stop and sniff and say, wait, what is that? Nope. So for myself as a believer, after I leave the room, are people left thinking about the Lord Jesus? Do I cause thoughts of the Lord to linger in the room after I'm gone? Because that's what should be happening. Verse 15 says, um, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So to God, we as believers were the fragrance of Christ. That is, by our lives, we are to be like the Lord Jesus and so be used by the Lord to remind those who are being saved and those who are perishing of the Lord. And our spiritual fragrance should be perceived in two different ways. Looking at verse 16. To those who are being saved, we are the aroma of life to life. To those who are being saved, you, should, you could say we should have a spiritually attractive scent. Life lived out to the Lord is described as smelling good here. People should want to come to the Lord because they see him in my life. And to the unsaved, or not spiritual open, we actually should have a bad odor. We are the aroma of death to death, and reminding them that they're sinners deserving of judgment, that they need salvation. So how do I make myself spiritually fragrant? Well, in the physical world, if I want to make myself fragrant, well, if you're a guy, perhaps you might want to put on some cologne. Or if you're a woman, you might want to put on some perfume. But uh, if I want to diffuse the fragrance of Christ, then um, this is how I would do it. In Romans 13, this is verse 14, Paul says, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. If I want to be a fragrance for Christ, I need to have the Lord's character in my life. I need to live as he lived. And just as a powerful scent has a way of spreading over a wide distance, a powerful testimony has far-reaching effects. So what does it look like when a believer is giving off a fragrance of Christ? Uh, and people should see something different in that person's life. Like I said, they should see the Lord's character. And oftentimes, if someone's very fragrant spiritually, I mean, they should definitely grab someone's attention. 
Now, I was looking at this, um, I was reading the testimony of uh, this guy named Jeff Strucker. He was a former Army Ranger. He was involved in a conflict in Afghanistan um, where a couple uh, Black Hawk helicopters were shot down. A very terrible battle for the US. A number of people were killed. Um, but he was a believer in the midst of that battle. And um, a lot of his comrades, they noticed he acted differently in the midst of the battle. He had a certain peace about him despite all the terrible things that were going on around him. So people saw the fragrance of Christ in him, and a lot of people asked him afterwards, you know, what, how did he do so well in that circumstance? And he was able to give glory to the Lord for what happened. Now, Paul goes on in verse 16. He, actually, he asks a question now. And, and who is sufficient for these things? So what's, what's Paul asking here? Well, Paul has just been going over how believers are to spread Christ to all people. As believers, we are supposed to be his tools to make Jesus known throughout the whole world. Now, this should really be, this should really be a sobering thought. I mean, none of us should be thinking, oh, God wants me to use me as a means of spreading the gospel through the whole world. No problem. I got this. No, no one should be thinking that. It's really the task should be making me think of something more like, well, God has entrusted me with a very sacred task, and am I up to this? Am I sufficient for this? So in answer to the question, who's sufficient or who has got what it takes to make Jesus known to the world, and the answer to that question is, by ourselves, by human power, no one really is able to do that. No one is sufficient for these things. By our own human strength, we have no ability to take Jesus to the rest of the world. But now Paul's going to go into who God has entrusted with the task. So in verse 17, when Paul says, For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Paul is um, defending himself here because a number of false teachers at Corinth have been attacking him and seeking to undermine his reputation. In answer to the question that was asked, who is sufficient for these things, Paul is really answering the question by saying that he and his companions were people that God had found sufficient for these things. Paul and his companions were those that God had approved of, unlike the wicked teachers that were making a mess of things at Corinth. Now, as we went over in 1 Corinthians, um, there were a number of false teachers in Corinth, and they were spreading things like saying that um, there was no resurrection. And these teachers, they were trying to use the word of God as a means of personal gain. They wanted to make money off the Corinthians based on teaching the word of God, just to line their own pockets. And these false teachers, these are the people that Paul is referring to in verse 17, uh, to the so many peddling the word of God. And we think about it, it's really a horrible thing to try to make a profit off the word of God. Now, I read a news story this past year. Um, 
There was a man uh, named Martin Kelly. He was trying to make a uh, profit off a certain drug used to treat uh, AIDS and cancer. Now, some of you might remember this news story. He bought the rights to a fairly old drug that used to go for $13.50 a pill. Then one day, I don't know, I guess it crossed his mind. He said, you know what? I have the exclusive rights in this drug. I can raise the price to whatever I want and make as much money as I want. And so one night, he decided to raise the price of the drug by 5,000%. And so some of the pill that was going for $13.50 costs $750 a pill. And you know, there's a big outcry because people said, wait, you're, you're, you are um, trying to make money off a life-saving treatment that a lot of people need. But now you look at the Word of God here. Now you have in your Bible, you don't just have the cure to cancer or AIDS, you have the cure to saving a person from hell. That'd be a horrible thing to try and profit off the Word of God when there's millions of people who need it. Paul states that he and the others who were with him, they were not like these false teachers. Now Paul, he's described the kind of people that God does not want to use, and now he's going to describe the people that God does want to use as a spiritual fragrance. So Paul, as he puts it, he did the work of God among the Corinthians in sincerity. His motives were pure. He wasn't looking out for himself. He wasn't looking to make a profit for himself. He was looking out for the interests of the Corinthians. And there was also the manner in which Paul carried out the work of God. He did it as he puts um, in the, as he put it, puts it in, in the sight of God. Now, the way we do our work, it's often affected by whether we know someone's watching us. Now, take yourself as a child who's maybe assigned to do some household chores. Maybe you've been asked to clean the bathroom. And you might do a decent job of it, but what kind of job would you do if mom and dad were looking over your shoulder? Yeah. You might want to do an extra good job to make sure that your parents are happy with it. Let's say if you're at your workplace. Now, sometimes at our workplace, we might be tempted to slack off of it, maybe doze off a bit. But what would happen if your boss suddenly decided to work the whole day right next to you? Would you fall asleep then? Well, probably not. We tend to do a better job when we're aware that someone's watching us. Now, of course, we should always be doing our work well, but you know, I know for myself, I'm a lot more conscientious when I know that someone is watching me. Sometimes. Um, well, I'm a home healthcare worker, but sometimes I have my supervisor come with me on a visit, or I might have a state auditor come with me on a visit. Enough to say I'm a lot more on my toes when that happens. So when Paul was teaching the Corinthians the Word of God, he says he spoke in the sight of God. He ministered to the Corinthians as if the Lord were watching him every step of the way, which of course he was. And Paul says he spoke in Christ. He spoke as someone who was part of the body of Christ. 
not just someone who was voicing his own personal opinion. He did not have his own agenda here. He was here to do the work of Christ and speak what Christ wanted him to speak. Well, in terms of application for today, we should seek to be spiritually fragrant in our lives. Now, one thing that occurred to me, you know, is it possible that we can lose our spiritual fragrance? That can happen. You know, maybe after a long, hard work day, I'm feeling worn down. Or maybe there have been some tough circumstances over weeks, over months, over years that have made me feel weary. I don't feel like being a witness to people around me who are unsaved. That's why we might need some reapplication of the fragrance of Christ in our lives. And something I should look at, you know, if I want to be fragrant for Christ, how much time am I spending with the Lord every day? Now, in the book of Acts, when Peter and John confronted uh, the Jewish believers, Jewish leaders, uh, the Jewish leaders knew there was something different about the apostles. Now, looking at people in the New Testament, unbelievers were aware when Jesus' disciples spent time with him. So just reading in um, Acts chapter 4, verses 13 to 14. Now, when, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. So the Jewish leaders knew there was something different about Peter and John. They could, set, they could detect the fragrance of Christ in them. And there's another proverb I want to share too. This is, um, this is just a proverb, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Really, the more time you spend with a friend, the more influence that friend may have on your, on your character. So, uh, just looking at relationships among ourselves, you know, my wife has joked that after about five years of marriage, she's become more like me. But then I could also say, well, I've, she's also changed me to some extent, too. But now let's apply that to the Lord Jesus. Now, the Lord doesn't change. But if we spend time with him, and of course, if you're a believer, he does call you his friend, that follows from a proverb that you will become more like the Lord Jesus', Jesus character. If I really want to have the fragrance of Christ in my life, and I need to be spending time with the Lord on a regular basis, time in his word, time in prayer, speaking with him. So in conclusion, God has a definite direction and purpose in our lives. Wherever he leads us, he says it's always in triumph in Christ. He wants to lead us in a way so that we make him known to the rest of the world. And for me to best accomplish his purpose in this way, I need to make sure I have a proper attitude in sharing the gospel and spending time with him on a regular basis so I have the fragrance of Christ in my life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that for the task you've entrusted us with. And Lord, we confess or know by ourselves we are not sufficient for the task you've given us. And Lord, we pray that you would work in our lives, Lord, and 
sharing with other people. Lord, we do pray this in Jesus' name.